Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. OPEC is cutting oil production, and it's the biggest cut since 2020. The White House responded today, calling it short-sighted and using it as an opportunity to push for a quicker transition to renewable energy. And today's Melina Wisecup has more details on this. So Melina, what can you tell us about OPEC's decision and what kind of impact this might have? Yeah, so right now the national average cost of gas is around $3.80 per gallon, but in some parts of the country, people are paying even more than that. Um, for example, we're here in D.C., where as you can see, the price is closer to $5 a gallon, and the same is true over on the West Coast. People in California, for example, are paying anywhere from $5 to $6 on average per gallon. Um, and, this, and unfortunately, these prices are expected to rise once again, though experts are saying they do expect an incremental increase in prices. They're not expecting them to spike um, a major. They're not expecting a major spike in these gas prices, but we do expect to see a gradual price increase. Now, this is after OPEC agreed to scale back their production. The market has already responded to this. We've seen the global price of oil uh, go up slightly today. And um, so in that meeting earlier, major oil producers, including Saudi Arabia and Russia, agreed to scale back their production by two million barrels per day. And OPEC says this is what's needed to provide stability for the oil market. They're concerned about the lack of investment in the industry, um, which is also being echoed by a lot of companies in the West. The reality of this situation is if you want to attract investment, you need higher oil prices. OPEC has already been underperforming their actual quota, so the cut in production will actually be closer to around 1.25 million barrels per day. And this decision ignores Biden's calls for foreign suppliers to sustain and increase production. In response, the White House said they were disappointed and called the action short-sighted. So how much will it affect the price you pay? Experts say it all depends on how the U.S. responds. We're going to stay in this range for a while. The United States continues to release oil from the strategic reserve. I mean, that, in my view, is dangerous. We're at our lowest levels since 1984. In addition to continuing to use oil from our emergency stockpile, the U.S. is also considering an export ban to Europe. But this may also have negative effects down the road. It, it disrupts fuel flows in such that Eventually, refiners are going to be forced to cut runs significantly in the United States. That's eventually going to lead to even higher prices in the U.S. So both of these options now that they're discussing are very short term. What they should be doing is encouraging domestic production. Now, President Biden is also directing the Energy Department to explore ways to increase domestic production in the immediate term, while also calling for a quicker transition to renewable energy. The president also is calling on U.S. energy companies to keep their prices down. But as we know, while the president can ask for energy companies to keep prices down, how they respond is ultimately up to them since those companies are independent. Steve, back to you. I recently had a chance to speak with Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks from Iowa. We discussed gas prices and energy independence. Here's part of our exchange. Congresswoman Mary Miller-Meeks, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Congresswoman, uh, right now there's an energy crisis in Europe. We're hearing rumblings of that potentially happening in the United States going into the wintertime. Um, do you think this could be avoided? 
Well, absolutely, it could have been avoided, and this started with policies from President Biden the day he was inaugurated, when he canceled the Keystone Pipeline, hasn't had auctions uh, for leases on federal land, and hasn't allowed permitting, even when uh, there is an energy company that has an auction. You all are very used to energy production uh, in southwestern Pennsylvania, where we are. And in Iowa, we have a huge um, renewable energy uh, portfolio. 50% of our energy is from renewables, and we export uh, energy as well. How, speaking of Iowa specifically, how is the um, energy, you know, shortage or you know, high gas prices affecting uh, the farmers in your state? Well, people often don't connect high food prices with uh, the lack of, uh, you know, uh, gasoline production or oil and gas, but they're absolutely related. So the diesel that goes into tractors uh, in order to both plant and plow and uh, harvest. Uh, natural gas is used for fertilizer production. Petrochemicals are used in the development of, uh, you know, pesticides and fungicides, our petrochemical industry. So there's a huge connection between oil and gas production and food and food prices. So just as gasoline prices are high, diesel prices are high, um, that relates to food prices. And then how do we transport food? We transport in trucks or rail cars or by uh, barges on the Mississippi River. All of those costs have increased, which leads to increased food prices for you, the individual, when you go to the grocery store. Another issue I'd like to ask you about uh, how it's affecting Iowans, you typically wouldn't think that it does, but the issue of the southern border. How is that affecting a state that's not anywhere close to the southern border? Well, I'm from Texas originally, interestingly enough, and so um, have had, you know, encounters with illegal immigration. But what we're seeing at our border now is just unbelievable. Uh, there is an absolute crisis at the southern border. I made my first trip to the southern border last year as a member of Congress and said at that time, people may wonder why somebody from Iowa is at the southern border. Interstate 35 runs the, runs the entire width of our country. And with uh, Interstate 35 becomes drugs, illegal drugs, human trafficking, sex trafficking. And when you talk about humanity, more people have died crossing the southern border under this administration than under previous administrations. So it's an inhumane cr uh, crisis not to control our southern border. We're enriching the cartels. But yes, they bring drugs, uh, they bring human trafficking and sex trafficking, all of which uh, is a burden to communities. We welcome immigrants, we want legal immigration, uh, we want a controlled access to the southern border, but we need to stop the flow of drugs, we need to stop people coming across the border on the terror watch list, and we need to control our southern border. Congresswoman, thank you so much. Thank you. The Department of Justice has been in the spotlight in recent months for a variety of reasons. A conservative nonprofit organization called Eagle Forum has just been issued a subpoena by the DOJ, raising concerns over First Amendment rights. Here to discuss, we have president of Eagle Forum, Chris Ullman. Chris Ullman, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. So happy to be with you today. Chris, the Department of Justice has subpoenaed the nonprofit Eagle Forum, which you are the president of, over what sounds like a stance you guys took on a social issue. Uh, if you could, please explain. Well, our Alabama chapter, Eagle Forum of Alabama, uh, lobbied the legislature of Alabama to pass a law that would ban puberty blockers and cross-sex hormone kids under age 19. Um, they went to the legislature. They said, the problem. We'd like you to pass the law. The law was the product of the Alabama legislature. Um, it was debated, passed, signed by the government, or the governor, and um, some parents on the other side sued 
which is perfectly legal. They said it was a violation of their rights. Um, Eagle Forum of Alabama is not a party to the lawsuit challenging the law in Alabama, but they were subpoenaed by the Department of Justice, which intervened into the case. Um, and the Department of Justice wants the past five years of records of Eagle Forum of Alabama on anything having to do with the issue of gender dysphoria in children. How do you think the DOJ decided to come uh, after your chapter there in Alabama, and why should others be concerned? Does this raise uh, bigger concerns and questions? Well, Eagle Forum of Alabama was the leader in going to the legislature and pushing them to address this problem. Uh, they've been very out front on it. Um, in the state of Alabama, they've never tried to hide it. It's on their uh, webpage that they were pushing for this law. But we think the DOJ went after them because, well, Eagle Forum of Alabama disagrees with the federal government on what should be done regarding treatment for kids with gender dysphoria. And we believe that the Department of Justice wants to make an example out of a very small nonprofit group that is a lobbying group. It's a 501c4 lobbying group created to lobby their legislature, uh, but they disagree with the administration and therefore the administration is trying to harass them by forcing them to turn over all these documents, which are not at all relevant to the lawsuit, which DOJ is a party to. Chris, to be clear, there, w there was actually support from within the community as well uh, to take on this issue prior to you uh, or Eagle Forum getting involved. Absolutely. Eagle Forum of Alabama heard from parents, teachers, doctors, counselors, that they were very concerned about these life-altering treatments. And that is why they brought the issue to the legislature. Both houses of the Alabama legislature passed this bill by over 80%. There was broad support for this bill. Um, but we're concerned about the issue of DOJ subpoenaing a non-party to the lawsuit. Whether you're on the right or the left, you should be concerned that the DOJ will come after you if they disagree with your free speech rights, the position you've taken. The right to petition, the right to free speech, the right to assembly, all these rights are at issue in the case. The issue of puberty blockers is not really key to this case. What is key is that a nonprofit group is being targeted because the government does not like their stance on a particular issue, and they're trying to harass them into silence. So with that said, Chris, what does this mean, or could this mean for, for your organization moving forward? There's a hearing on October 14th where the judge will consider whether or not to throw the subpoena out. If he decides that the subpoena can stay, then Eagle Forum of Alabama will either have to turn over five years of their documents or will face contempt of court. What this means for other groups is, and we've heard from some of our other state leaders and other groups as well, that they fear getting involved in contentious issues because they fear they may be subpoenaed too, that their internal documents, that, that they will have to hire attorneys to even go through all their records, even if they wanted to comply. This is a very onerous process. And if you don't turn everything over, the government can hit you with a criminal contempt. So we're urging everyone, and we have over 60 groups that have spoken out in favor of our petition to quash the subpoena, please speak up and say the DOJ does not have this right to harass nonprofit groups in this manner. 
Chris Holman, we really appreciate you coming on and speaking with us. Thank you so very much. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.